So Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather around your word this morning. And God, we just pray that uh, we would be challenged by your word towards us. Lord, stir us up, we pray. And just help us to get a vision of how we can be part of what you are wanting to do in the world today. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's read a couple of scriptures. Romans 10, starting off uh, verse 13 to 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And then in Matthew 28, uh, verse 18, uh, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that was uh, Jesus' last words, as recorded in Matthew 28. Uh, and they're called the Great Commission. Uh, they are Jesus' command of the church. They, they should be so important that those words should be ringing in our ears every day. And yet, to most churches and most people, those words aren't the Great Commission. They're the Great Omission. The father of modern missions, as we know it, was an 18th century Englishman called William Carey. Uh, he was called to India, and this cobbler, without any practical, formal learning, gave the Bible to more people than any other single person. Uh, once he was asked what qualifications he had, and Carey replied, that he was a plotter, but that he could plod for Jesus. And William Carey's career points to the fact that God in the life of a man can achieve the seemingly impossible. But Carey encountered considerable opposition to his dream of evangelizing India. Uh, on hearing of Carey's intent, the East India Company presented a resolution to the English Parliament. They said, the sending out of missionaries into our eastern provinces is the most maddest, most extravagant, most costly, most indefensible project which has ever been suggested by a moonstruck fanatic. Such a scheme is pernicious, imprudent, useless, harmful, dangerous, profitless, and fantastic. It strikes against all reason and sound policy and brings the peace and safety of our possessions into peril. You get the, you get the idea that the East India Company didn't want to lose their monetary gains that they were established in India. But it wasn't just them. They weren't alone. In 1796, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, which is the Presbyterian Church, passed this motion to spread the knowledge of the gospel amongst barbarous and heathen nations seems to be highly preposterous. Uh, one speaker in the House of Commons said, I'd rather send a brand of devils let loose in India 
than a band of missionaries. History has recorded that uh, William Carey and thousands of churches that sent missionaries into the harvest fields wrote the history books differently. But the church is not on earth to write history. The church is on earth to fulfill prophecy. And Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so no wonder the devil does all that he can to stop the evangelization of the nations. Uh, His end is well documented, but the time of his demise will happen after all the nations have been reached. So he will oppose the reaching of the nations above all else so that he can delay his end, which is to be thrown into the lake of fire. So any time you do something in the area of world missions, you will come against a strong adversity. The apostle uh, John's vision of the throne room of God uh, says this. He said, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a large voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So salvation is promised to people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, and it's going to happen. We are closer today to seeing the evangelization of the world than ever before. But Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as we've read, it goes on and said, how can they preach unless they are sent? Jesus commanded us as his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And so I really firmly believe that the church needs to get back to the Great Commission. The job is not done in the world that Christ gave us to do, and the mandate is still binding on us today. That's why we speak of unreached people groups. But the missions is the back-breaking, culture-penetrating, darkness-shattering initial work to penetrate, plant the church, see it flourish, get its own elders, train its own people, evangelize its own networks. That's the task of missions. It's not over. And that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the alternative is hell. And millions and millions and millions of people are on their way there. And we have the only means of escape in our heads and in our hearts. Jesus Christ. There are many prodigal sons On our city streets they run Searching for shelter
There was a time in our history when New Zealand sent out more missionaries per head of population than any other nation in the world. But uh, not everyone here can go to the ends of the earth, but we are all commanded to participate in that great commission of Jesus to the church. So how can we do that? Yeah, how, can we be, how can we be part of that great commission? Well, firstly... We need to make Jesus Christ's command to us a first priority in our lives. Uh, every missionary that I have ever met has three things in common. Uh, firstly, they have a heart after intimacy with God. Um, and we're all called to do that. We're all called first to intimacy with the Lord. That's a lifestyle. It's not a single experience. And when we get close to God, he, he shares his heart with us. And we begin to get a glimpse of those things that God loves. And we get a glimpse of the lostness of this world and how the Father's heart aches for mankind. and we would just want to try to do something to reach them. 
Secondly, every missionary I've met is different. They are unique. And we've got and had a number of missionaries uh, in, the, in this church. Uh, Evan and Leone have Harris. Um, others that have gone to, uh, to Southeast Asia. We've got Janet, who um, spent 12 years in China. 14 years in China. Um, and every one of the missionaries that we've had and sent out from this church has been completely, completely different. Uh, they are unique, but God uses their gifting, their uniqueness in amazing ways to reach the multitudes. Different giftings are needed to reach tribal people compared to reaching, for instance, the urban youth. Uh, Penny and I were part of uh, Hamilton AOG from 1974 through to 94, and um, we lived in a little two-bedroom flat to start off with uh, in Silver Silverdale in uh, Hamilton, Hamilton East. And just around the corner from us was a house called Landmark Home for Girls. And it was started by a woman in our church, Patricia Green, who just had a burden for abused and downtrodden women. And so she took in girls that were referred to her uh, through the courts, and she just loved these girls. Uh, this passion from God grew, and Patricia handed Landmark on to others, and she headed to Thailand to help girls trafficked into the sex trade. I visited Patricia in 2007 in Bangkok. Um, the main red light district in Bangkok was a road no longer than Vine Street, by the way. And uh, this, is, um, this is Pat Pong at night. And the thing that is amazing about this picture is those English tourists there with their daughter how could they be so stupid? There are 3,000 prostitutes on any one night working in that street. And right in the middle of the district, Patricia set up a hairdressing salon so she could build relationships with some of these girls and tell them about Jesus. Um, Patricia led hundreds of these girls to the Lord. You want to go? just go to that? These are three of the girls that have come out of prostitution and are now working in Patricia's hairdressing salon, reaching other prostitutes as they come in. Uh, eventually, Patricia uh, went to Europe, based herself in Germany, where she spoke to governments and spoke at the United Nations as a world export, uh, export, a world expert on trafficking and the abuse of women. She was no different to anybody here. She just had compassion for the hurting, and God caused that compassion to grow to the point of being able to lead others uh, in that same compassion. So on that um, on that same trip I visited Mount Hope in Kalimantan 
And uh, this started because in 1997, a man by the name of Sam Sakota uh, visited Borneo where he was challenged by the poor living conditions and hopelessness and the lack of education uh, and the lack of opportunities amongst the Dayak village people, which are the predominant tribal people in um, Borneo. The illiterate Dayak people would send their kids away for primary education to nearby towns, and most of the Dayak kids ended up boarding with Muslim families. And when Sam realized what was happening, it just God just broke his heart. And with nothing but a burden and a dream, Sam found some land. He had no money, uh, but to cut a long story short, he built a vibrant training center where children can now get wonderful preschool, primary, and secondary education. And just about every one of the kids coming to uh, Mount Hope gets saved. And Mount Hope is now the government-recognized number one educational provider in the region. And even Muslim families send their kids there. And they get born again. Uh, when the Dayak children go home for holidays, being educated, they're listened to. And of course, they tell their village about Jesus Christ. And so hundreds of churches have been planted through that work. Uh, when I was there, I had the privilege of uh, praying for a young man who was heading off to Jakarta. Uh, to do his pre-med, and he was planning to become a doctor and then go back to his village and help. So what a fantastic work uh, that has been. And um, this church has supported Sam and Carol uh, for nearly 30 years. So we have got an inheritance in the nations uh, the next year, I had the opportunity to uh, visit Kenya, Uganda, and Mozambique. And uh, these these trips um, that I went on were basically um, sponsored by the Assemblies of God in New Zealand because at that stage I was the Overseas Ministries Director and so had the responsibility of going out and visiting various missionaries in various places. But the places that we ministered to were all places that this church had sown seeds into. So 2008, I visited Kenya, Uganda, Mozambique. And in Kenya, the Ames uh, were working to provide jobs and training for boys and girls brought up in the Kibera slum in Nairobi. So that's an overview of the uh, slum as it is today. And as you can see, it carries uh, covers quite an area but you don't really get an idea of what it's like until you get a little bit closer. And so, and perhaps the next slide. You can't convey the smells of a place like that. Um, it's estimated that about a million people live in that place. And by 16... Most of the boys are in gangs, and most of the girls have AIDS. 
but the AIMS have worked tirelessly to provide some alternative and save these kids. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? And so we had an input into the, in support of the AIMS as they um, got kids out of that slum into job situations. In, in Uganda, I visited a Bible college that this church sponsored. And health clinics that the Tumasimis run. And by the way, um, the Tumasimis will be here in February. And they'll give us an update on what's going on uh, in Uganda. Down from Uganda, Mozambique. I was there when the government official opened a cashew nut factory that this church paid for. I think we gave $150,000 to build a cashew nut factory. Um, some of the people working in that factory walk four hours a day to get to that job situation. You imagine that, walking four hours, two hours there, two hours back, just to get some employment. So the ailings, uh, and uh, Jenny's going to be here next week, by the way, uh, and she's going to share for 10 minutes as to what's going on. Um, but they provided the vision of employment, church planting, preschool education, baby care, and they have absolutely transformed the region. Uh, but each of those works and their pioneering missionaries are different. And the third thing I see about these missionaries is that no matter how strong their sacrifice and, pa and no matter how passionate they are, no matter how fantastic their vision is, they can't achieve that visionary objective by themselves. It's impossible. They need a supporting community working with them to complete their part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission isn't a helpful suggestion. It's Jesus' last command. It's his last words. So it's the responsibility of each and every one of us to do whatever we can to fulfill that command. If we can't go, then we've got to serve as senders. And how can we do that? Well, first of all, we need to get a burden and a vision for missions by making God's priorities our priorities. Let Jesus share his heart with you for the lost. Uh, if you get the opportunity, go on a short-term missions trip because when you go, you'll pick up something of the heartbeat of God. I've, I've been on a number of and led a number of short-term vision uh, missions trips over the years, and when I look back on them, they had more impact on the people who have gone than the people uh, who we went to. Read about missionaries and their sacrifices. Read about the lost and unreached people groups. Dare, dare to pray. God, give me a heart for missions. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. 
Satan laughs at our toll, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. So we've got to pray. And every one of us can pray for one of our missionary families. The kids in the, in the kids' church have been praying for the ailings for decades, just supporting them in that work. So if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to research and pray for unreached people groups. We need to intercede and stand in the gap on behalf of our missionaries. Ezekiel 22.30 says, I look for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. And there are situations and circumstances all over the world that need our prayers if the missionaries who have gone out there are going to break through and if God is going to break through. Now, there are situations where God is moving miraculously, uh, seemingly without uh, any man's input. You'll find that there are imams all over the East who are having visions and encounters with Jesus Christ. And whole mosques are turning to Jesus. But at the back of all of that is always someone praying. So pray and ask God for a burden for a particular people group or a particular area, particular country, and see what God will do. Our missionaries pastors and leaders are under attack from the enemy and it's up to us to stand in the gap on their behalf many times penny and i have been woken up in the night with a burden for a missionary and so we have prayed as directed by the holy spirit and every one of us can pray and together we can get the job done and thirdly we can give 2 corinthians 9 verse 6 says this remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So tithes go to your local church. But offerings go wherever you feel God is directing you. Missions is a great way to give offerings. And so for the last 40-something years, uh, Penny and I uh, have been giving every month to missions. And we've been able to give what we're able. I, I mean, I am passionate about reaching the nations, not just because... I've been, or because I have a burden for the lost, or because I feel the weight of the Great Commission on me, or because I've prayed, but I'm passionate about reaching the nations because I have sown my finances every month for the last 46 years into the nations of the world. And Jesus says, where your treasurers, that's where your heart will be also. Do I like my boat? Yes. Do I like my house? Yes. 
But I tell you what, when I die, when we die, that's all hay, wood and stubble. The only thing that's going to remain is what you sow into the areas of eternity. So, sow in emissions. Sow into the kingdom of God. And your heart can be in the nations as well. Together, we can become great commission churches. And this is a great commission church. I mean, over the years, when we started off 20, 28 years ago, this was a white, middle-class church. But we had an incredible burden for missions. And so everything that we did worked towards us reaching our nation and the nations of the world. And I'm sure that is one of the reasons why, over the years, God has brought the nations into our church. And I haven't done a I haven't done a, ch- a count recently, but at one stage when we did count them, we had over 30 different people groups represented in our church, which is amazing because each one of those people groups have a burden for their people group. And so we begin to reach these ones in different ways. We've done a lot of things over the years in the whole in our whole missionary journey, but the job isn't done. And we need a fresh group of people who will rise up and take hold of the burden for the nations and begin to run with it. You know, when we attempt great things for God, we can expect great things from God. And I'm quite sure that we have avoided over the years numerous problems because God saw our heart for missions. and sisters, this is not an invitation to an easy life. For 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of missionaries, the unnamed, no biographies written about them, just unnamed people of whom the world is not worthy, have counted this cost and put their lives at risk 
and reach the lost with the only message of salvation. Amen.